welcome to another inspirational message from Brave Church UK. Amen. 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 Why don't you take your seats this morning? So good. Haven't the band done a great job this morning? I just love seeing new people in every week. New people up there. Fantastic. So we're feeling festive today. I must admit, I'm not feeling the festive spirit just yet. It's taking me a little bit longer. Yesterday, somebody had the great idea in our house yesterday morning when we woke up. Let's go to the Trafford Centre or Cheshire Oaks and just do some Christmas shopping. Now, I mean, I do everything online. I don't ever go out Christmas shopping. But for some reason, we decided to take the children seven-year-old and 11-year-old to Cheshire Oaks. So we drove all the way there. Lewis was really wise in his decision to stay at home, stay in his pajamas, watch football, watch telly, and just chill out. But we went to Cheshire Oaks, and my goodness, I am never, ever going Christmas shopping again. <laughs> never, ever again. It was Michael's idea, by the way, which is unheard of as well, because he never wants to go shopping. But yeah, it wasn't a great day, let's just say that. I will leave it there. Um, but, you know, people are starting to put up the decorations. People have been putting them up earlier, I think, this year. We've had this debate at work and with friends that people, it just seems to be happening earlier and earlier every year. And I don't know whether it's just that I'm getting old and I'm getting a bit, you know, bar humbug, but people are putting them up earlier. But research suggests that people who put their decorations up early are happier. So if you've got yours up in November, you are happier, apparently. And they've come to this conclusion because people observe decorations as a sign that the homeowners are friendly and optimistic. And people passing by will find comfort and security in your presence. So if that's you, if you've got yours up, then you are doing something to help other people. You're putting other people at ease this morning. And when I was reading that, I just thought, who actually thinks one day when they wake up, I'm going to research what sort of people put their decorations up early. I mean, who does that? Who researches things like this? Anyway, as it's the start of Christmas and the start of our Advent season, I would suggest that today... From today onwards, it's okay to start talking about Christmas. So we're going to enter into our Christmas series, which is called The Magic of Christmas. And over the next few weeks, we're just going to look at some very well-known characters in the Christmas story and hopefully help, them, help you to see them in a different light and to take something new away this Christmas. So today we're going to talk about the magic of the Magi, and we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 2. It's quite a big chunk of scripture, if you've got your Bibles or you're on the YouVersion app, and it should be on the screen as well. It's Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And you've probably all heard that story so many times. And you probably have a picture a little bit like this one on the screen of the three wise men on the camels on their journey to see the king. And the fact is that the image that we have of these three kings, these wise men, is probably very different from the actual reality. There's no mention in Matthew that there was three of them. There were probably quite a few more of them. And we know they didn't appear at the manger scene at the time of birth. It was maybe months, if not years, later. Matthew's account is very vague. We know they came from the east, but then this has been widely debated as where they exactly came from. Some say they were from Persia. Others say they were from Babylon and direct descendants to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's advisors that we read about in the book of Daniel. We know that they were astrologers. We know that they studied the, scar, the stars, and we know that they were led by a star to Jesus. You know, throughout the Bible, we can read different accounts of similar practices like that of the Magi. And we know that the Bible condemns any kind of witchcraft, sorcery, consulting the dead, or reading the stars. Yet they were the ones that found Jesus. They were wise men. They were great men. Yet they recognized God's voice. They were thought they had all the answers but they found the answer in a baby. What I also found fascinating is that God met them where they were at. They were studying the stars and a star appeared. And I think what an encouragement for us at the start of this message this morning, that wherever you're at, whatever you've come here with, whatever you're searching for, that God is looking to meet you here this morning. And I just pray that as we start this, that we can open up our hearts and we can meet Jesus this morning. I just want to make a few observations from the text this morning and look at how we can apply these truths to our lives this Advent season. My first point is to seek. The Magi searched for the King. It says in verse 2, Where is the one of you been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The Magi set out on a long journey to honour a king. It was thought to be around 400 miles and travelling by camels would have taken around three weeks. I don't know about you, but I find long journeys tiresome. Just, just hard work. We make the journey a few times down to Cornwall, which is about six or seven hours. So it's not nowhere near as long as the journey that they were on. But sometimes those journeys can feel hard work, can't they, when you're on a long journey. You know that wherever you're going, when you get to your destination, it's going to be worth it. But the journey can be hard work. Every time, guarantee every time we set out on a journey, wherever we're going, Michael will, will have this conversation every time. 
He'll say, this is not about the journey. Never mind all this business about the journey. Get me to my destination. And he says it at the start of every single journey that we're on. Get me to where I want to go. And you know, journeys, especially when you've got three kids in the back of the car, can be hard work. But the Magi, they set out on this journey and they, they even got on camels some of the time to get there. Now, I don't know whether anybody has ever been on a camel. I have, and it's, a, it's an experience I never, ever, ever want to repeat again. I don't do well with animals, and I, do, I certainly don't do well with camels. And it was somebody's idea in Tunisia a few years ago, family holiday, let's go on a camel ride. I was the one that didn't want to go. And I am not joking, I nearly showed you a picture this morning. Nearly showed you a picture of how terrified I was, but I thought better of it. <laughs> I thought it might score you for life. But I was absolutely petrified. I mean, you have this picture of a camel, how they, they kneel down on, on the floor so that you can get on. No, there was none of that. I had to have a leg up to get on top of this camel. So Michael's on the camel. I'm behind Michael on the camel. I think Tasha was on the same camel as well. I mean, that's three of us on <laughs> <laughs> on one camel and honestly I clung on to Michael for dear life clung on to him for dear life I was crying I was crying I was screaming I was worse than the kids honestly it really was not a good experience and to top it all off we had a dodgy camel we, <laughs> we had the camel that wanted to do its own thing why does that always happen? I have previously once been on a horse and I had the dodgy horse as well that wanted to gallop off and not follow with everybody else going nicely along the journey. No, our camel wanted to do its own thing. And honestly, the moment I got off the camel, I didn't get off very gracefully, let's just put it that way. I think I flung myself off the camel and I was shaking and I said, never again. Never again will I go on a camel. So hats off to the wise men. <laughs> <laughs> who travelled on camels to find Jesus. <laughs> anyway, it's quite remarkable that they would trouble themselves not only um, to worship a king, but an infant king, a baby king, a baby king who was a Jew. You know, even in those days, Jews were looked down upon. Who really cared about the Jews? You know, some theories suggest that the study of astrology was compatible with Judaism. So they would have been aware of the Old Testament prophecies that there was a king coming, that there was a Messiah that was going to be born into the world to save the world. Others say that they would have been around the Jews um, in Babylon several hundred years before. So they would have heard the Jews talking about this prophecy. We do know that the astrologers would have been diligent observers, good at record keeping and have an eye for detail. They didn't really know where they were going or who they were looking for, but they searched and they found Jesus. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says this, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. You know, we are called as Christ followers to seek his face, to seek him with all our hearts, not because he is lost, but because we are. See, when we look for him, God promises that we will find him. God promises that he will always be with us, yet we are called to seek him. To seek him is to seek his face, which actually means his presence. 
to seek his presence. You know, that's something as a church we're striving for. We want to be a church full of his presence. When people walk in the doors, they can encounter something that they've never encountered before, and that's his presence. But, you know, as individuals, we need to be doing that as well. We need to be seeking after him, seeking his presence. God wants us to seek after him, drawing near to him and building that relationship with him. You know, in order to have that close, that deep, personal, intimate relationship with God, we have to be willing to seek him. You know, when two people first meet and they start going out with each other, they usually don't fall madly in love on the first meeting. It usually takes a bit of time, a little time of spending time with each other before this is formed. This is the same with God. You have to put in the time and seek him. You know, I'm convinced that the, the main reason why we don't seek him as we should is that things get in the way. Distractions come our way. Life gets in the way. And it doesn't, we don't make it a priority. You know, I remember a few years ago, um, there was a member of Michael's family who we'd been praying for for ages, you know, that we wanted her to become a Christian, wanted her to come to church, wanted um, a change in her life. And she came along to a service and she responded. She responded to God. She put her hand up. She said, yes to Jesus. We were like, yes, all the prayers have been answered. Here it is. This is a different life for her. And no sooner had she gone out that she'd met somebody, she'd started a relationship with them and her journey at that time was over. You know, things cut in on our journey, don't they? Things get in the way. You get distracted. And maybe for you, that's a relationship. Maybe a relationship that you're in that is cutting in on your journey, cutting in on you seeking God. And maybe your journey's come to a standstill. You know, maybe things are getting in the way from you seeking God, from you spending that time with him, getting to know him. Things just getting in the way. Maybe that's sin. Maybe there's something in your life that you just think, this is stopping me from pursuing God. Maybe that's temptation, hurt, anger, unforgiveness, something stopping you from seeking him. Feel that every time you start out, you think, yes, I'm going to do this. Something's getting in the way. You see, more often than not, when we're struggling to seek him, we're carrying and holding on to things that God doesn't want us to carry on and hold he doesn't want us to hold. He doesn't want us to carry. Yet we're, we're carrying it ourselves and we're struggling to seek him. We're struggling to be in his presence. You see, when we are in God's presence, he shines a light into the darkness. God's presence shines a light into your situation. And, you know, sometimes we avoid that. We avoid that because we don't want that light shining into our lives. It highlights things in your life that you need to change or you need to sort out. And his presence will do that. I know sometimes in, in my life when I look back at the times where I found it hard to seek him and to seek his face, it's because something's going on in my life and I'm trying to suppress that. I remember last year when we lost our dad and that was a difficult time. It was a time that was full of hurt and full of pain. And you know, when you're feeling like that, and you're feeling like you're all cried out, and you, you've done enough crying, you don't want to cry again, you, you avoid being in God's presence. You avoid seeking him. You suppress that because you know when you're in his presence, you're just going to break down. You're just going to break down, and you try and avoid that and keep yourself busy doing all kinds of other things rather than being in his presence and seeking his presence. But God calls us to do that. Nothing is too much for God. He can break through any situation in your life this morning.
Nothing is too much. Bring it to him this morning, whatever it is. Cry out to him. Get down on your knees. Seek him. You know, your journey might take a while. You might be on a journey today to find him for the first time. Keep going. Keep searching. Keep traveling. Don't give up your search. You will find him. You know, there's no better feeling than being in close relationship with God, in hearing from him, to be walking with him. Yet we so often, we're just going through the motions. We might come along to church, we might say the right, all the right things, but to be continually seeking him, seeking his presence is a different story. You know, very few of us have that close relationship with God because it involves things that we don't like to talk about. It involves things like humility, recognizing that we need him, dying to yourself, sacrifice, giving him time when so many other things are taking our time. Very few of us have that. For some of us, maybe we haven't abandoned God. Maybe we haven't turned our back on him, but there are times when we neglect to pursue him. You know, don't let this year end before coming back to him. Putting him first, putting him centre in your life and seeking his face. C.S. Lewis says this, look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else. The wise men set out on a long and tiring journey. They had to make sacrifices. They had to give up their time, but it was worth it when they found Jesus. They had found him and with him, everything else. My second point is that uh, the Magi worshipped and bowed down to him. Verse 11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, I love this picture of these great men in their great robes and their finery, all bowing down to the king of kings. Philippians 2 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we truly meet Jesus, when we truly see him, we will want to worship him. When you encounter his presence, when you realize what he's done for you, you can't help but worship him. It says they bowed down, worshipped, and offered their treasures. They gave him the best. They gave him the very best of what they had. You see, when we admit that he is God and we are not, that's the bowing down part. That takes humility. That's saying that we're not in charge. God's in charge. We're recognizing who he is. And all we can do is bow and worship him. You know, some of us are good at playing God, aren't we? We're in charge of our destiny. We'll do whatever we want and we'll make a mess of it along the way. You see, then we admit that we need him. That's the worship part. And this should be reserved only for God. He's the one that deserves our worship. You know, sometimes we can get used to doing things in our own strength. Even in church, we can rely on our own abilities. And sometimes without realizing it, we've taken God completely out of the picture I don't know about you this morning, but I need him. I need him every minute of every day. And without him, I'm nothing. You know, they brought gifts. The best they had, they presented to him. So what does God want from us? What does he require of us this morning? 
True worship is more than public worship. It's more than an act that we perform on a Sunday. God wants your heart. He wants you. Not just a bit of you. He wants all of you. It says in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. God wants all of us this morning. He wants our hearts, he wants our minds, our thoughts, our attitudes. God wants visible, lived out bodily evidence that our lives are built on him. And that's going to take some work and we won't always get it right. But our aim should be that in our actions, our thoughts, our deeds, that we're living to please him. You know, I remember when I was late teens, early 20s, and I was kind of been brought up in church, and I always, uh, I always knew what was right, but my life didn't always show that. See, I went to church, but then I went out with my friends at the weekend. I got up to things that I should not have got up to. But yeah, I was going into church, and people might not have seen that side of my life. They might have seen me in church and thought, actually, she seems to have it all together, but that wasn't the life I was living you see, I'd given God a bit of me. I'd given him part of my heart, part of my life, but I hadn't given him all of my life. But you know, the truth is, I knew that. Deep down, I knew that. I knew I was fooling God and fooling others, and God knew as well. And it took an encounter with God for me to make the changes that I needed to make, to give him all my heart, all my life. I realized it was time to stop playing at this thing and get real and give God everything. God wants your heart this morning. Don't be like the hypocrites we read about in Matthew 15, who honor him with their lips, but whose hearts are far from him. Don't give him the dregs this morning. Give him the best. Give him the best of you. You know, the priority you place on who God is will be reflected in where God is on your list of priorities. The Magi acknowledged him as king. They acknowledged their need for him and they gave him their very best. My third point is that the Magi then followed him. They were changed. They went a different way. Verse 12 says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You know, I love this verse stuck there on the end of the passage and quite often dismissed. But what it meant for the Magi and for us today is amazing. What I love about this is that after they had encountered Jesus, they heard from him. He spoke to them in a dream. Now, did they all have the same dream at exactly the same time? Did one of them have a dream and tell the others? Who knows? But the fact is they heard from God and they recognized his voice. They were now faced with a choice. Did they go back to Herod or did they go another way? You see, Herod, as we know, was out to kill Jesus. He had no intention of actually bowing down and worshipping him. After all, he was king. Why would he need to worship another king? He was very much threatened at the thought of a new king and he had plans to harm him. But I love this part of the story because it shows that Herod's plans were no match for God's plans. God had other plans. You know, when we see the Magi, bowing down and worshiping him. When they acknowledged who he was, they were different. 
something had changed. Something had changed in their life. They would never be the same again. We're told that they went another way. They couldn't return the same way they'd come because Jesus had touched them. They had to find another way. You know, if you were here last Sunday, Michael shared a bit of his testimony at the youth service on Sunday evening. And he shared a little bit about how he met Jesus. You know, and if you know anything about Michael, he was he had quite um, a rough upbringing and he was found himself homeless. He found himself stealing for food, but he met Jesus in Dartford Town Centre. And after he met Jesus, he went and did exactly the same thing that he was doing before. He went and he stole a chocolate bar. <laughs> he went and he stole a chocolate bar because that's what he did. He had no money for food and he went to do that. But you know, after, when he'd gone to do that, he knew straight away that that was wrong. Something had convicted him. You see, he'd met with Jesus and his life couldn't carry on exactly the same route. He had to choose another way. And it's the same here with these kings. They'd met Jesus, they'd encountered him and they had to go another way. When we hear God's voice, we cannot carry on doing the same things we've been doing. Something has to change. They didn't use the expected route. They picked an alternative route to bypass Herod. It's interesting here that the Greek word for another way is hordos. In the New Testament, hordos is also used as a metaphor for human behavior. And it's the same word Jesus speaks of in Matthew 7 when he's talking about the narrow way. It says in Matthew 7 verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You see, when we meet Jesus, our lives are changed. We have a choice. Do we carry on our own way or do we choose the narrow way? It says only a few will find the narrow road. Why? Why is that? Because it means we have to leave behind things that are going to hinder us. We have to leave behind things that would stop us walking with God. Our own reasoning, our own will, our own wants, relationships that are unhealthy. There's no room for these on the narrow way. There are only a few of us that will find and choose this path because it causes pain and it causes sacrifice. That's not sounding appealing to you today. It says that this road will lead to life. There is great freedom on the narrow way. Freedom from sin, freedom from addiction, freedom from anxiety, freedom from depression. There is freedom on the narrow way. The narrow way will lead you to life. The Bible is full of stories of people who have encountered Jesus and who have changed. Jacob wrestled with God, never walked the same again. Saul encountered God on the road to Damascus and was changed forever. There are stories of people sat here in this room who have encountered God. You've encountered him. You've heard his voice and your lives have been changed. You see, when you've met God, when you've encountered his presence, it changes everything. The wise men couldn't travel the same road again. The road they came on was dangerous. Maybe for you, there are dangers in your world, places and situations that you need to just flee from. You just need to get out of there because they are not healthy and they're dangerous to you. The narrow way is there to protect you, to give you freedom, but it's your choice. It's your choice this morning which road you will choose. I just want to invite the band back up as we finish. 
you know, at the start of this Christmas season, and we hear about the magic of Christmas, when we hear about the story of the wise men, I'll suggest to you this morning that these wise men were not wise by their own intelligence and their own cleverness, but they were wise because they searched for Jesus. They went seeking after Jesus. They found him. They bowed down. They worshipped him. And they were changed forever. This Christmas for you could be different from all the other Christmases if you would follow the example of the wise men. Some questions I want to put to you as we finish. Number one, will you seek him today? Maybe you're in here and you're searching for something. You're looking into all kinds of things, searching for this, searching for that. You might even not know what you're searching for. Today is the day that you could find Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you've neglected pursuing him. You've stopped seeking him. Maybe something's got in the way and it's ages since you've just been in his presence seeking his face. Today's the day to seek him. The second question, will you offer him true worship today? Will you offer him your life today? Will you offer him your hearts today? No holding back, no keeping parts of it for yourself, giving it all to him, laying down your agenda and allowing him in. My third question is, will you choose the narrow way today? The way that leads to life. One encounter with him, that's all it takes. Will you choose to leave behind the things that would hinder you and follow the path that leads to life? You know, as I was thinking about this and thinking about these questions and what it means for us as we, as we follow him this, this Advent season, as we seek him, as we worship him, as we follow him, you know, that doesn't just affect our lives. It's not okay, I've found Jesus, I'm on the journey, I'm okay. This is about others as well. This is about everybody else. You know, the wise men, I suggest that changed their lives forever and changed history forever because they didn't go back the same way. What decisions you make right now in life will affect uh, the future, will affect your children, will affect people around you. You know, we're on this journey, not so that we can be on a jolly journey of our own, but so that we can impact other people for Jesus, that we can bring other people to him this Christmas. But it starts with us. It starts with the decisions that we're willing to make. It starts with the things that we're willing to say, no, I'm not having any part of that. I'm going to give it all to you, God. It's time today to get serious with God. You know, there's so many people out there who are hurting, who need him this Christmas. We could be the key. We could be the key that unlocks the, the journey that they start on with Jesus. Let's not put it off any longer. I just want to leave us with a quote that sums up the story of the wise men and sums up what I've been saying this morning. Charles Spurgeon says this, those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who truly see him will worship him. Those who worship him will consecrate their lives to him. Let's worship together. That's the end of this week's podcast. We hope that it inspired you. For any more information, visit braychurch.co.uk.